Good morning. Today's Bible reading is from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. He came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Maria. If you don't have the Bible passage, um, they're being passed around. I, I saw Anya walking around giving you the passage. Um, please do pick it up and let's go together. Uh, let's, let's come together to John chapter 1, 1 through 18. We're starting this new series um, through the Gospel of John, and we're going to uh, go through chapters 1 through 6 in the coming weeks. But let's pray that God's living word will come and speak to us this morning. Let's pray. Lord, it was by your word that the world was created. It was by your word um, we've heard you and your life uh, has come to us. And you've opened our eyes and you've given us a new heart. And Lord, we pray that your word will speak again this morning as we come to it. Lord, give us listening ears. Give us a heart that's prepared for your word to come and change us. We pray that you'll speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The great atheist Bert, uh, philosopher Bertrand Russell wrote, man, man is uh, the product of causes which had no previsions of the end they were achieving, that his origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collocation of atoms. For Bertrand Russell, in the beginning, was nothing. In the beginning was nothing, and so therefore it makes sense that all his dreams and his fears, uh, his uh, beliefs, uh, his loves, they are in the end nothing. They are nothing right now in the end, and it will become nothing in the end. 
we are a great accident, a cosmic accident, cosmic allocation, collocation of atoms, he says. And yet, he concludes very cheerfully like this. This thought ends with uh, only within the scaffolding of these truths. Only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. What can be built upon the foundation of nothing? What can be built on the foundation of despair, knowing that we are just accidents and all that we love, all that means anything to us, our loves and our fears, our struggles, our, uh, our, our meaning, all, the, all that really in the end is nothing. What can be built upon that foundation? He says we should build our life upon that foundation. I think that's not right. This is why it's so important that the Gospel of John begins not with, in the beginning was nothing. No, the Gospel of John begins with these important words. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was love. In the beginning was grace and truth. In the beginning was Jesus himself who has created us with purpose and meaning. And the world is his world, the one in which he has ordered, he has created. In the beginning is this personal God. And then he is the life and light of the world. Thank goodness, because the alternative is terrifying. As we go through the Gospel of John, every page will ask, do you know this Jesus? Do you know him? Do you know who he is, how great he is? Do you know that he really is the Son of God, God who has created you, who has loved you? And will you build your life upon this Jesus. Every page will ask that because there is no greater question in the world. Our life depends on it. Whether world has meaning depends on it. Whether there is an afterlife depends on it. Everything that means anything to us will depend upon this question. In the beginning was word. Is there a God who has created us? Jesus is the key to the Old Testament, to philosophy, to meaning of life, to joy or anything that means anything to us. And in this great prologue, uh, John writes in, in 1, 1 through 18, John introduces all the main themes of uh, the Gospel of John, and once again, it will ask, do you know Jesus? Do you know that Jesus is the Word of God? Do you know Jesus is God made known? And it'll ask you, do you believe in Him? Do you believe in Jesus? The Gospel of John is sometimes described as um, a pond. Um, pond shallow enough for a child to wade through, uh, for, him, uh, for, for a child to go through and play, but as deep enough for an elephant to swim through. In many ways, John's message is simple, but when you scratch the surface and dig a little deeper, you'll find yourself going deeper and deeper. There is much there in the Gospel of John, and that's certainly true of the beginning, opening words of the Gospel of John, too. I mean, the words are simple, and he repeats them many, many times. The point is clear. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He created everything in the beginning. He was there. He created everything. That is the meaning. But if we dig a bit deeper, we get much more, don't we? Because we also know that in the beginning, well, that mimics the words of the opening words of the Bible, the Genesis. 
in the beginning was God. In the beginning, God. John's laying out the basis for our Trinitarian theology. That God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. It wasn't just the God the Father in the beginning. It was His Word. His Word was there. And if we look back to Genesis, we find that, well, that's true. Because God doesn't toil, and God doesn't toil with His hands and work uh, to create things. How does He create the world? He speaks. He speaks, and His words go out and create create this, this, this beautiful world. In the beginning was the Word, and it was Jesus who was there with Him. And throughout the Old Testament, that Word of God is personified again and again, right? The Word of God has come to me, so the prophet says, and goes out and speaks. Famously, in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, the Word of God is one that goes out and does not return to Him empty before accomplishing its purpose. The Word of God is with God. He was God. Jesus was that God in the beginning. So it's tapping into the Old Testament. In the beginning was the Word. But it's also tapping into Greek philosophy. Uh, Because Stoics held that the mind of God, the logos, the Word of God, the mind of God, the logic of the universe was written in to the universe, to the way things are. They thought that logos, the Word, was the ultimate reason for the way things were. For example, I mean, that's why, they, because they believed that the logic, the mind of God was written into the universe, the sun rises and sun sets in a regular pattern. There is spring, summer, autumn, and winter in a regular pattern. The, the seeds that looks nothing like the big tree, they know what to do because God's logic, God's, uh, the way things are, that, that logic is written into the things of the universe. They believe that the logos was written into the universe in the world. And actually, it's not all that different from wisdom literature. In Proverbs chapter 8, you see wisdom of God being personified in this way, being created and written into the clouds and the seas and the foundations of the world. And so when John says the Word of God became a human being, the Logos became a human being, he's speaking, he's proclaiming to the Jewish and to the Greek audience the logic of God, the things that make sense of the universe, the mind of God that is out there has become a human being. And Jesus is uh, the one through which we should see the world. And through him, the world will make sense. That is what he's saying. In the beginning was the word. So let me start out by asking this question. Where do you go? Where do you go to look for guidance in your life? I was talking to a friend recently, um, I think last week, a couple weeks ago, who was talking about joy. This person had written a, uh, read a book on joy, uh, and it was a book by two uh, great minds, two gurus uh, of this world, uh, wise and learned men. And that's what people do. As they look to have joy, they look to other people who have joy, people who seem wise and learned. You know, some people look to uh, philosophers, some people look to religions, some people look to entrepreneurs, celebrities even, as their guide in life. Which is good, because God's wisdom is written into people's wisdoms. Anything that is good in this world, really, it comes from God. 
But friends, they come from God. The Word was there in the beginning. It originates from Him. In the beginning was the Word. And in Him, John writes in verse 4, was life. And the life, that life was the light of all mankind. Friends, John says it's Jesus. Jesus, who we should ultimately look to as our guide for joy and for everything else. He's made us. He knows us. He's given us life, and He is the light of all mankind. And apart from Him, we will stumble. Apart from Him, we won't know how to live our lives rightly, how to live our lives joyfully. We will not know how to live. You know, some people say, you haven't lived. I mean, how would you finish that sentence? You haven't lived until you've had this food or you've had your first kiss or you've gone out and seen the world. Well, John's answer is this. You haven't lived until you met Jesus. Jesus, who is the life and light of all mankind. He is the key. He's the one who created us. He's the one who, uh, who, uh, who knows what it means to really live. So whatever your heart is searching for, friends, first look to Jesus. And when you see the wisdom of the world, see how they come from Christ, how they point you to Christ. And the astonishing thing is that this God who created the whole universe made himself known, accessible to us. I went to high school with an unusually unusual number of accomplished people. Um, one of them I talked to, um, I was curious about one, uh, one of them, and last time I talked to her was when she was doing a PhD in uh, physics in Harvard, uh, physics and math, uh, after completing a master's degree in Imperial and Cambridge. <laughs> and she was studying physics, she was doing impressive things. I was curious about her, so I just looked her up um, recently, but I found her in a podcast talking about nutrition science. It, that's where I found her, this nutrition science. And I, I, I wonder, how did this happen? She, last time I heard, she was studying physics at Harvard. <laughs> and so I listened on to this podcast, podcast, and this is what she said. She said that as she was searching for the origin of the universe and you know, what the condition of time and space and all those things uh, were, she found that actually she realized that she could never really know the truth. The, the truth about the universe. If there is multiverse, some people think, you know, string theory or whatever, there's multiverse. How would we ever know? You wouldn't know. You wouldn't be able to test a multiverse theory. You know, the conditions of the, you know, sp the creation of space and time. You know, she said, well, I could write a mathematical formula that sort of uh, simulates this, but how would we ever know if this is actually what happened or not? You would never know. And so she thought, actually, I'm just wasting my time doing this. She said, I wanted to do something that is actually knowable, that actually something that can actually help people. <laughs> and so she went into nutritional science, and she's been doing that since then. And of course, I think that's how it is with most people, with God. God seems unknowable. I mean, how would we know who God is? God is just a guesswork for most people. And you know the story of the blind men and the elephant. 
one man feels the elephant's long uh, nose and goes, elephant is like a snake. Another one says, uh, feels the leg and goes, uh, elephant is like a big tree. Another one is feeling the, the, the stomach and goes, oh, elephant looks like a big wall. Such is, some say, our search for God. We can't know who God is fully. They might all be right, they might all be wrong, who knows? We're all confused as to what God is like. But here is the thing. God made himself known. In the beginning was the word. Word is something that communicates, something that speaks, something that you can hear. God has made himself known. And not only did it, does he speak, not only does his logic, uh, is, is the logic uh, written into the way that things are in the world, he became flesh. He became a human being and lived among us. You could hear him. You could touch him. A voice that could be heard. He had a body that you could live with. John makes up a word here. He uses a, a, a Hebrew word uh, and, and, and uses it as sort of a Greek word to make this point. He says, God tented, that dwell, made his dwelling among us. He's literally, he tented among us. He tabernacled among us, recalling how God himself became, uh, God's glory filled the tabernacle in the wandering in the desert for 40 years. He lived in that tent. People could see his glory. In that way, God tented among us. He lived among us. You could see him. You could hear him. You could learn from him. You could see what God was like by seeing Jesus. So John can say, as this verse goes on to say, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. We have seen him, the glory of the one and only son. And John wasn't the only one who saw him. You know, I don't know if you saw the witness of John the Baptist is interspersed in this great prologue, uh, verses 6 through 8. Verse 15, next week will be actually all about John the Baptist. John the Baptist also saw him. He was a witness to him. And this theme of witness will occur again and again throughout the Gospel of John. John the Baptist was such a big deal that people flocked to him to see if he was the Messiah. He was baptizing people, introducing people to this new practice that Jewish people were not doing, but people were flocking to him to be baptized by him. But when people came to him, he said, no, no, it's not me, verse 15, it's Jesus. He has surpassed me because he was before me. I'm not even uh, worthy to untie his sandals. And who they really saw was God. Jesus was God. Take a look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is closest, in, in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. A phrase, in closest relationship with the Father, literally is in Father's bosom. The only people that I've held in my bosom are Mary, Corey, and Barney. They're the closest people to me. 
God the Father, who was God, is in that closest relationship with God the Father, it says. Actually, God the Father doesn't have a bosom. It's a figurative the way of saying this, right? God doesn't have a bosom. What does this mean then? Well, it means that God the Father and the Son were intertwined together as one. They were in this closest possible relationship. That's who Jesus is. God himself who has made himself known in flesh. Son of God is God who is uh, God made known. Church, I, I think these coming weeks, as we go through the Gospel of John, it's great weeks to invite your non-Christian friends. Non invite them, ask them to come to church and join you because we will talk about Jesus. We'll talk about who he is and what it means to know him and how all our hearts longing are fulfilled in him. You know, many people reject Jesus because they think they know God, don't they? Now you've heard the reasons. Well, God, he seems small-minded. He seems egocentric. He just wants people to worship him. He cares too much about what goes on in the bedroom or is a killjoy. He seems incompetent uh, or, or not care, doesn't care. Or he's like an old man, mis misogynistic, etc., etc. Et Invite them to come to find out Jesus, who Jesus is. Is Jesus any of these things? Jesus will surprise us again and again as he reveals God to us again and again. For one, he's described as being full of grace and truth. Who do you know who's full of grace and truth? Most people are either gracious or truthful. It's hard to do both. Really, at the same time, isn't it? Some people are really accommodating, really gracious, but flatters, bends the truth. But Jesus is gracious and truthful. He is truth himself. He'll meet an adulterous woman. No, but he's, she's an outcast. She's avoiding everybody else. Uh, and and um, people avoid her. Well, Jesus gently approaches her, talks to her, draws, draws her close to him and exposes her, exposes her sins, and then offers her at this living water that will quench her thirst. Jesus goes to a party and makes, just doesn't bring a bottle of wine. He transforms gallons and gallons and gallons of water into wine. Jesus will not dispense self-help lines. Do this and your life will be a little bit better. Jesus will say, come to me. Believe in me and you will be born again. You'll have a new life in me. In the coming weeks, could I ask you to come to Jesus, to come to know God better, deeper, uh, to rediscover and rediscover who God is. And could I invite you to bring your friends uh, to come and hear about Jesus? And could I invite you to come and believe in him? not just with your minds, but to build your life upon him. Because even as a Christian, even as Christians, we need this reminder again and again, don't we? We say we believe in Jesus. We say that we're building our lives on Jesus. But actually, we are building our lives on other things, on foundations that are not Christ. Often, we do this because letting Jesus into our life is hard. Because 
we're not that great because we do need to change. And having the light of the world come into our life means exposing the darkness within our hearts and in this world. Hong Kong, I think, has one of the best night scenes. Right? The Victoria Harbor, that skyline, really is the best in the world. I, don't, I, you know, I, I can't think of any better place that has a better skyline. Wan Chai looks pretty at night, too. The glimmers of the neon light makes that place look beautiful. Yeah, it's a great place to go. But when all is done at 5.30 a.m., when the light starts shining again, the sun starts rising again, when the dawn arrives, it reveals what the streets of Wan Chai actually looks like. Tons of rubbish are thrown out there. You know, rubbish that's sort of eaten through, maybe the bags are eaten through uh, with rats and cockroaches and things like this, or there's beer cans and plastic bottles, even vomit on the street. Not every, everywhere in Wan Chai, of course, but some parts like are like this. So we prefer not to see these things. We prefer to go there at night. And the world is like that. We are like that. Most of us would rather not have the, to, to switch the light on. Most of us would rather not have Jesus come into our lives because coming, his coming reveals what we are really like, our selfish ambitions, sinfulness, evil desires, blemishes, greed, lust, lies, pride. So as John introduces Jesus in these opening words, he describes the coming of Jesus as a struggle. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There is a struggle in this world because the world is dark. And this is a theme, once again, that will repeat throughout the Gospel of John. As Jesus comes in, people will divide. Some people will receive him, but many, many people, most people will reject him. Verse 10, though the world was not made through him, the world did not recognize him. He did not, his own did not receive him. How dark is this world, well, we killed our maker. We killed the light of the world. The world on our own seems hopeless. Yet, there is hope, right? And that's what the Gospel of John is all about. God taking the initiative. The Word of God becoming flesh, living amongst us, living this pure and sinless life to die for us and rising again. Friends, this isn't self-help, right? He's given us hope. He says to those who have received him, he's given the right to become children of God. Children of God because God took the initiative because of his life and death and resurrection, the power of resurrection, the power to remake us and remake the whole world is released through Christ. We're born again. The world will be made again through Christ. Our hope is in Jesus. There was grace in God's law as we look at verse 17 and on. There was grace in God's law. We've finished the Ten Commandments, but the Tenth Commandment, that one about the covetousness, really revealed what's in our hearts. Right? We're not able to do the very thing that we want to do and what we ought not to do, as Paul says in Romans 7, we continue doing. So in place 
of God's grace revealed through the law, God gave us further grace in Jesus. Grace upon grace. Grace and truth came through Christ. Of course, to receive him means to believe him. And to believe him means to build our life upon him. In the beginning. How do you finish that sentence? In the beginning. In the beginning was the word. Will you build your life upon the word of God? Because you haven't lived until you do. Let's pray. Lord, in you is life. In you is light. In you is joy. In you is rebirth. In you is recreation. In you is the power of your spirit. In you is life worth living. And Lord, we pray that in these coming weeks that you would speak to us, that you would fill us with your spirit, you would prepare our hearts to be receptacles of your word, that your word will come and live with us and change our lives from inside out. And we pray for those who don't know you yet, who are still searching after you, will come to meet you and know you as their life and their light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.